Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the first of our Empire Podcast spoiler specials for 2013. Today I'm joined by James Dyer. Hello. Ali Plum. Hi. And Helen O'Hara. Hello. And on today's show we'll be talking about the first blockbuster of the summer, Marvel's Iron Man 3. And when I say we'll be talking about it, I mean we'll be talking about everything. From the off, we'll be delving into the many twists, turns, reveals, surprises and genuine shocks of a movie that is gloriously unpredictable and very entertaining. And that's not all. Later in the show, Helen and Ali will be sitting down with Iron Man 3 director Shane Black and his co-writer Drew Pierce to get the skinny on why they did, what they did, when they did, to whom they did and how they did it. Uh, So, if you haven't seen Iron Man 3, stop listening now. Have they gone? They've gone. Okay. I'm pretty sure they've gone. Uh, oh, wait, I didn't tell them to come back after they've seen it. Never mind. Damn it. Um, thank you for staying with us. And now it is time to talk about the ins and outs of Iron Man 3. A film, it has been, I wrote Empire's cover feature for. Yeah. And, uh, but still was in the dark about an awful lot of this movie. And I loved that, actually. Mm. I love the fact that this movie had the power to genuinely surprise me. And having seen about 10 bajillion uh, trailers, TV spots, posters, and everything else, uh, even though some of those 10 bajillion uh, featured scenes from very, very late in the movie didn't actually feel any the wiser. And and there were, there were still loads of surprises when you went in, which is yep. impressive. Absolutely. So where should we start? Someone threw something out. We'll Extremis. Extremis. Let's start with Extremis. Okay. Now, you've, this is this is a Warren Ellis storyline, isn't it? Yeah, this uh, is uh, the Warren Ellis, Adi Granoff, six-issue arc from a few years ago. For it's, what, 2005, 2006? It was an influence say? on the first Iron Man movie, so it's it was really around about that. It's yeah. pre-House of M, and it's post, as I understand it, the Avengers disassembled storyline, which ties in quite nicely to following the Avengers film. That is correct. Um, it's a really good arc, actually, if you can pick it up. It's uh, you know, available as a graphic novel. It's available in Comixology, if that is your thing. Um, and it's just it's fantastic. It actually influenced, in terms of the design and tone of the, f- uh, of the movie, the first Iron Man movie, and all the subsequent Indeed, because it, it has a revised sort of origin tale for Stark in it, doesn't it? Which is what plays into the first it Iron does. Man I mean, beginning. It does, yes. Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, that kind of thing. It does. And the Extremis comic book, I mean, it's a, it's a very different take on the, on the Extremis. If you, if you if you're a fan of Extremis, uh, which we think now is definitively pronounced Extremis, because I've heard Extremis, 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 um, it is Extremis. If you're a fan of the comic book and you think you know the comic book will be replicated in the movie, <laughs> it is not, as we now know. No, indeed. It is not. The 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 chief scientist in the comic book uh, is Maya Hansen. Uh, he's an old flame of Tony's. That's fairly faithful. She's involved in the weaponization of Extremis. She's got her, her fingers slightly dirty. Again, that's true in the uh, in the movie. But Aldrich Killian, for example, is completely different. He is the co-creator of Extremis in the comic book, uh, although less, less so than Maya Hansen. Uh, at the comic book, as the comic book begins, he's dead. They've released Extremis, which is, a, which is a majorly dangerous weapon, and he is overcome with guilt about it, and he commits suicide, and uh, he's very much a footnote in the comic books. Here, though, he is, as played by Guy Pearce, He's the, the big chief bad. villain. He is the big bad. Yeah. He is, as he says at the end of the movie, I am the Mandarin. It's not uh, Ben Kingsley. It's not Trevor. It's not, not Trevor. Trevor. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great reveals of the of the year. I'm gonna I'm gonna say. Uh, so, what were our thoughts in this? On 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 first of all the the treatment of Extremis in this movie and the revelation of Aldrich Killian. I haven't read Extremis, but I've read around it. I gather that Extremis isn't quite what it is in this film. It isn't the super regenerative. My limbs come back. It's, it's, I think my understanding is it's regenerative, but it's, it's speed, it's strength, and then there's other factors. Like when Tony infects himself with it, he gets super IT powers. 
you know, which everyone can do with. Yeah, it's 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 rewiring the human brain, isn't it? So yeah. therefore, your body, your entire nervous system, uh, is souped up to its absolute nth degree. Uh, so it means that I, I guess it's the ultimate super soldier program in many many ways. Mm. But with this extremis, it seems to if we just get it down to its bare bones into the kind of 12-year-olds um, around the schoolyard type description, it allows you to create a, a, a large amount of energy out of your hands and at one point with Guy Pearce, out of your mouth in a kind of breathing fire move. It's it's a heat-based energy well, my, power. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an energy-based system. Yeah, because they regenerate, don't heat. they? But it, it manifests itself as heat. Yeah, but but massive amounts thereof. I, I, I have to say, I had a little bit of trouble with this. For some reason, I was kind of okay with the regenerative thing causing people to explode, which <laughs> happens early, obviously, in the movie with the, the plant and everything else. That, for some reason, I was like, all right, fine, yeah, it goes crazy and your cells go crazy and then boom. Um, I had more trouble with it being controllable and that did take me out of the film for a good sort of 10, 15 minutes and then I kind of just... Do you really? I don't, I, don't, I don't quite get that. I'm not, I mean, I'm not I, you know, it was not, like, listen, I loved the film, mm. but I did have a bit of problem with, okay, so you're able to this, heat your hand hot enough to melt the metal of, you know, the, the, the water, water tower, tower for, yeah. for one um, and and still be fine and that that's not burning you. I mean, there was one shot, I have to say, I think this is a tiny blooper where uh, Killian does that and uh, still has his watch on, which seems unlikely. But, I mean, he these, is are, the these are nitpicks. The, he's the head nitpicks. of advanced idea mechanics. He <laughs> could have an indestructible watch. Fine. It's we adamantium watch. Adamant, it could be an adamantium it watch. It could be an adamantium mm, watch. It could be adamantium. I, I, I don't know. I quite like that. I mean, the idea is obvious that there are certain people for whom extremis is just like breathing yeah. and they just take it like a duck on water and Aldrich Killian yeah. is clearly one of those people yep. so is his sidekick which I, I love this guy uh, James Badgedale as uh, Savine the yep. uh, the evil sidekick who's codenamed I think in the comic books Cold Blood but it's not referred to that by that name uh, in this movie yeah. at all um, and they just they're badasses with it and, and they can control it and I didn't have any problem with yeah, that I mean, and there are people who can't hence yeah. James Tiger at the beginning of the Indeed. movie who explodes I, I, listen I really like the way it was it was used as a superpower it was just one of those things that was a bit of a a big ask for I think for an audience to swallow just in, just just momentarily and I got back into it and I continued to love the, the movie but uh, yeah it was like wow are you okay? I, I'm fine thanks thanks are, so much for asking are we still an effective team? <laughs> have we ever been? No. No. I okay. still like the idea of it being a power where Iron Man could try to punch someone with Extremis and the guy with Extremis as this kind of super soldier built up, yeah. you know, hyper best top human level person could <laughs> could grab the hand of Iron Man and it's a conceivable thing. Yeah. It was a real threat, which it was, was a real very threat, good. Yeah. Which, which we have found previously. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, you know, metal men hitting each other and mm. or a bigger metal man hitting another smaller metal man. This one, I actually <laughs> felt like there was gravity and, and, and danger. But it seemed yeah. to have a sort of an EMP effect as well, didn't it? Because it paralysed him on the plane. And also with War Machine, she basically grabs his hand and paralyzes him with the, you know, heat. Mm. Yeah, I she locks, him into, it, locks him into his armour as mm. well. In, in, and he can't move, way. which is... Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that happened. Which is interesting. It just overload the circuits? Maybe it's the IT powers we talked about. <laughs> it's super IT powers. Super it's tech super, support. Super virus. So yeah. how does Extremis uh, connect with... I, when I first read about Extremis, thought that Extremis was the ability to bring parts of the suit Yeah, but that's interesting, because in, in the comic, that is part of it, that he is able to bond with the suit on that level. Yeah. Uh, and that makes its way into the film, but it's not extremist. It's, it's, it's these implants that he yeah. essentially puts into it. Kevin Feige and Shane Black in the Empire feature and uh, told me that that's what they didn't want to do. They wanted to avoid that. And so the it was a bit of a red herring initially whenever we first saw the Comic-Con footage last year of Tony bringing the, the armour to himself. That's the Mark 42 prehensile suit, which uh, he has implanted something in his, in his body, which 
I guess controls the suit from a, a, from doing a, kung fu a, moves. a funky remote control within his wrist, if if mm. you will, and that's really really cool. And I really like that. And I like the idea that uh, you know Tony's a, a kind of fighting a war with himself in this one. The identity, mm. you know, am I Tony Stark or am I Iron Man? And again, in the end, he I guess he settles on being both yeah. ultimately. Um, but uh, yeah, um, but the extremist stuff. I mean, Feige and Black did not want that repetition as you say of Iron Man just punching another metal man for two hours and I really really liked that I liked the fact that he, like, the extremist guys were a threat there's a moment towards the end where Rhodey is facing two or three of these guys at once and you're genuinely going I don't know how he's going to get out of this because he's a uh, He's just a human guy with a gun. How's he going to get out of it? And he does in a very, 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 very cool way. A guy with his way out of it. Yeah, he does. Um, I, 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 you might be a little annoyed that I'm jumping very, very far into the very end, but I'd like to ask about how Extremis, whilst we're talking about Extremis, will affect the next films in terms of Pepper Potts surviving and being, in my mind, the last person alive who has extremists. Well, they, the, there was a line in there about healing her, yeah. which I kind of interpreted as very, very swiftly extracting all that and so turning it back to normal. I think that's what they did. Is that what they're doing? Because yeah. part so. of me was hoping that, you know, next time Pepper Potts is put into danger, and I bet she will be, uh, she could just flame on and uh, <laughs> deck a load of other metal And men. get extremely violent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think there's a line at the end about not, not only does Tony have a clean slate with himself when he removes the, the shrapnel from his from his heart at long, long last. Why didn't you do that ten years ago? Maybe technology hadn't caught up with it. Who knows? Um, Chinese doctors are good, I hear. He, yes, he destroys his uh, suits, pretty much all of them, uh, in the clean slate. And he does the same with Pepper. It's a bit of a reset button at the same time as, Helen, I know you're, you're big mm. in this, the, the growth of Tony Stark at the end of the movie, which is which is interesting to see. Yeah, I, I have a bit bit of a pet hate for uh, superheroes, both in comics and movies, who never really go forward. And I feel like we should move these stories forward and we should be adults about it and not demand that, you know, Spider-Man stay at, you know, at university for his entire life, you know. And in the comics, they've done that over the years. They've moved him forward. They've given him wife, kids, whatever. Um, I, and I feel like, and then they, they would kind of reset these comic book stories because they're worried they're getting too far away from their their fan base. But I think it's a good thing. I think we should, you know, grow these characters. We should let them change, especially on screen where it's a much, you know, more spread out kind of medium. They're not happening every week. They're happening every four years or something. I think it's great to actually see characters be allowed to change. If you have a big problem in your life, you should be allowed to get over it. Batman at some point should get past the parents thing you're a growing man <laughs> come on you know and I feel like so I, I'm, all, I'm always very welcoming when I see at least signs at least glimmers that a character is genuinely changing and genuinely grow, growing he's still going to be Tony Stark he's still going to be sarcastic he's still going to be um, combative probably irresponsible mm. certainly flamboyant but you know he well, could he, be a slightly different Tony Stark and I think yeah. that's great as he says to Pepper at the end of the movie uh, everything will never be the, okay with me yeah. You know, <laughs> she goes, "Will everything be okay?" I'm, yeah, I'm Tony Stark. Everything will never you're, be yeah, okay. Yeah, you're, you're in a relationship yeah. with me. It's yeah. never going to be okay. Yeah, I've always so. loved the relationship between Pepper and Tony, and there were glimpses of of just how great it could be in Iron Man three uh, in Avengers. The yes. way they spoke at the top of Stark Tower, I was like, "This is brilliant." I would love to be the guy or one of the people who gets asked around to their dinner parties, and I really felt that their relationship was real. I felt like, you know, of course, this is all fantasy, but I felt like the way they kind of hate and love each other, he's a nightmare to live with, but, you know, it's the real deal. He buys our massive giant bunny. Um, <laughs> worst I, present ever. Worst present ever. I felt it, and uh, hats off to Shane Black, I guess, but also obviously the actors involved for making me totally believe that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I really love their relationship, and uh, I hope, because they've, they've both now come to the end of their contracts, and I really hope that they, they both sign on for more. 
I, I wouldn't like to see Tony in particular I wouldn't like to see Tony being recast ever I can't see how Marvel I, would you couldn't do it he inhab- as I said we were talking about this earlier he well, inhabits that role mm. entirely I, I do wonder if you know if podcasts and the internet had existed towards the end of the 60s would be, we'd be having the same conversations <laughs> like you know Connery is Bond man he is Bond I don't know if we can recast James Bond I mean he's made it his own but I mean dial it back can you imagine if they'd cast anyone but Downey in that role whether anyone else could have pulled it off to that extent because one of the talents he has he makes Tony so incredibly likeable he's so funny he's Mm. so appealing that unlike a lot of them where you know you want to see Spider-Man Peter Parker although Andrew Garford did do a good job of that not to bother about Peter with this Tony Stark is more appealing than Iron Man more often than not and that's kind of a rare feat and I think that's all Downey to the point where this movie I mean he it's mainly Tony it's mainly Tony Yeah. yeah And it goes to great lengths to keep him out of the armor, <laughs> which, which I really, really, really loved. Uh, even down to the, the boot and glove sequence, even the, the Air Force One sequence, he's not actually in the armor, mm. which is a lovely reveal. Yes. And then there's, uh, but I also love the fact that at the end that he does need the armor as much as uh, as as he can function without it. He does need it, mm-hmm. and that great sequence with the forty suits at the end, jumping from suit to suit, I thought was yeah, uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think they, I think. Uh, both Iron Man movies to date have suffered from a weak third act and this movie went kind of the other way it's like not not a weak first act but certainly a, it's a slower first a act. slower first yeah. act setting up all the pieces and putting them into place and then once it takes off with the attack on 10-8-80 Malibu Point which doesn't exist I googled it um, such you a shame had to google I had to google it <laughs> just in case you never know um, he even gives a zip code uh you know, one, it, once that happens it really really does take off mm-hmm. and watching Tony being ingenious and MacGyver's way out of situations as Ali said is, is fantastic and relying on that, that, that intellect of his which is great but yeah. we wanted to concentrate on surprises to begin with we were very surprised by certain parts of the film I have I like to think been resident oh my god there's something about Iron Man Online guy for Empire Online and yeah I totally didn't see Tony popping no, his way in out the of the he's in the film Tony Slattery Oh, Tony Slattery, that would have been amazing. Sorry, no, that would have... I totally had a whose line is it anyway brain fart there. But I'm talking about Trevor Slattery. He he was a total I didn't see coming moment and I was in hoots of laughter. Yeah, same here. Uh, I was in a... For some reason, and I was in a screening room where there were a bunch of people who obviously weren't anywhere near as excited as I was. And when he started his doing his um, uh, I... Uh, everybody calm down uh, mm. thing I was wailing with laughter an yeah. out of work actor with digestive issues yeah. <laughs> he's the toast of Croydon he's genius that was that was a spe- that was just there the toast of Croydon that's another yeah. interesting point that some of the lines in this are absolute gold really and funny. Iron Man I think has always been on the funnier side of the superhero spectrum but this in particular uh, you know it's very Shane Black it's also as you say a lot of credit has to go to, to well, Drew Pierce. you know Drew Pierce, his name comes first in the screenplay and I think there's a reason for that mm. um, he was first on the movie he was he he was on before Shane Black was brought on, and uh, I know Kevin Feige. This, you know, it's a complete uh, leap of faith from Kevin Feige that Shane Black, one of the greatest screenwriters in Hollywood, mm. would somehow get on with this Brit, and they have like a house on fire to the point where I think they might be writing another one or two movies together. And it's just I can't wait. It's it's wonderful to see the the mesh of sensibilities. And, and Shane Black's a big fan of British comedy and Monty Python mm. and whatnot, and that does that does come across. And in the same way that it was lovely seeing, uh, and very surprising seeing Ben Kingsley play an utter psycho back in Sexy Beast, it's kind of surprising to see him play an utter stoner, basically. Yeah. Yeah. In this one, you know, it's just completely subverting your expectations, but, yeah. but doing it really, really But it's cleverly. the violent tone shifts that just works <laughs> out, the juxtaposition of the comedy and, and the drama. It's like, when we talk about the excellently choreographed fight uh, against Tony, with Tony and the Goons, when he's got one glove and one boot, which is 
really well put together and he's fighting them and then you have that gag at the end with the last henchman yeah. which just lands so perfectly uh, and I think that sums up really for me what works about that yeah. film yeah. Just, shame uh, Drew Pierce described it to me as uh, zigzagging uh, yeah. uh, every scene zigzags mm. so it starts off as one thing and ends as another thing and uh, that replicates the way Tony's brain works yeah. Yeah. and you can never you can never catch your breath either yeah. it's great I and I, I, yeah, it just I think it sums up why I think we love Tony Stark as a character because he is so unpredictable and mm. the movie this movie for the first time in the Iron Man franchise uh uh, is a is a reflection of that. I think that is one of the lines of the film is a guy who we see for two seconds and runs out. Honestly, I hate working here. They are so weird. <laughs> and he puts down his gun and leaves. Yeah, yeah I, Which is, and you would because yeah. you, you're you're just a guy getting you're hired to, to kill by Iron Man. You've watched all your friends being killed horribly, and you you put the gun down. It's the most sympathetic treatment of henchmen since uh, Austin Powers. Yeah. It I is, think, you know. and it's a lovely thing because you would have thought Austin Powers might have exhausted all the henchmen giving up sort of <laughs> jokes, but this this really does it. But back to Trevor, back to the Mandarin. Back to Trevor. Because uh, I, I love this on so many levels. One is that, uh, well, this was just me, I don't know whether you guys felt the same, but there was an element of me, for me, of as Trevor was doing his thing, explaining to Tony that he's just a, an actor who's been employed to pretend to be the Mandarin. There was part of me going, is this a trick by the Mandarin? Is he actually the Mandarin <laughs> now pretending to try and be an actor so he, Tony will believe it? That's an interesting point because it's such a great bait yeah, switch. Because the Mandarin is... An Iron Man nemesis. I mean, he's a nemesis essentially. He's, I mean, he's a super evil genius with alien magic rings. He is the Iron Man nemesis, indeed. Mm. Um, and to have him essentially be entirely fictitious in this is, is, is a stroke of genius. Yeah, and there, and I love that uh, Marvel are doing this, and I love that Kevin Feige's had the stones to do this because what they're essentially saying is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now mm. essentially completely its own thing, yeah. and the comics are fine, and we will take from things from the comics, but if something doesn't fit our world we will change it completely and we will pay it scant respect if it deserves scant respect. And frankly, the Mandarin is, and was, I guess, not probably no longer, but was the Iron Man nemesis for the first 20, 30 years of Iron Man's career. It is also... Uh, frankly, a, a dodgy character that <laughs> yeah. is ever so, slightly, ever so slightly racist. And um, I know they've been struggling. They were talking about the Mandarin in Iron Man 1 being the bad guy right up until the last minute and they ditched him. Uh, they were talking about elements of the Mandarin being in Iron Man 2 and again, they just couldn't reconcile this character. They couldn't reconcile this Fu Manchu, as, as Faggy says, mm. uh, treatment of the character in the comic books with what they wanted to do on screen. And what they've they've hit upon and I think this is mainly Drew Pierce's ideas you guys will hopefully find out in the interview and what they've done is they've completely undermined and subverted the character and, and, and made it com- uh, as ridiculous as it is in mm. the comic books and I, and I love that I would yeah. go there for 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <but> the, <laughs> which was genius the accent though the accent that he puts on I'm still not sure what it is you'll never see me coming sounds yeah. a little bit like Stephen Hawking but um, you know what? it's true there's a little bit of a kind of an automated vocoder yeah it's, it's the, it. the sort of the extending R's, uh, but that's made all the more enjoyable by the fact that uh, that Trevor's essentially making it up as he goes along. Yeah. Uh, one question though, and I, I'm going to get you guys to ask uh, Drew and Shane this: uh, Why is he a Liverpool fan? Why do they have to make the world's most evil man, even if he is a shadow puppet at that point? Why is he a Liverpool fan? That's a Liverpool. Al, you think it's a Liverpool Chelsea game? It's yeah, definitely Liverpool. It's Liverpool. But that's, a, that's yeah. a Kingsley thing, though, isn't it? Uh, it's a Kingsley edition, yeah. But, but is, he, is Kingsley a Liverpool fan? I doubt it. I thought he was from Manchester, isn't he? Oh, that makes no difference, does it really? I doubt it, but do, do find out. Yeah, do I have, find out. I've scrawled in my notebook, Liverpool versus Chelsea. It was definitely a blue team. It was, it was, was, was cheering Chelsea. Blues. It was, 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 no, was definitely Liverpool because uh, okay, so I'm Martin Skirtle. But it, yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy that line of um, <laughs> no talking and no eye contact unless you want to get shot in the face. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is a lot like it's real people much like in Empire real movie. meetings quite frankly. and then of course the bigger reveal later on in the film is that uh, when Aldrich Killian says that and we think he's just like the second in command the guy who's yeah. he's actually the, the, the he's actually the guy he is the Mandarin oh, speaking God. of uh, Aldrich Killian who's uh, mm. yet another for me unpronounceable name I did not like the way they did the cripple long hair stuff I found that kind of tone a little weird that was kind of early cut, Aldrich early Aldrich that mm. cartoony limping thing wasn't to my taste I also didn't like how Tony at one point uses the phrase to the kid Harley you had me spazzing out there mm-hmm. we're talking about zigzagging also includes that tone but I think when I first saw that first bit when he was playing this you know limping character I just went oh no what's this mm. I'm not happy with that. Well, at it all. was too on the nose because he had like a, a cosmetic spot on his nose and he had lank, long, greasy hair and fake crooked teeth. It was like, all right, we get it. You yeah, know. exactly. It was that was I was a little overcooked. So Aldrich is the Mandarin. He kind of embodies that character. Yeah. I really liked that idea. It was kind of saying something about um, a figurehead. It doesn't matter about being the big bad guy. It kind of it kind of deconstructs that mythos of hi, I'm I'm the big evil bloke focus all your attention at me which is amazing considering that we've got Thanos coming up who is like the ultimate yeah. of that kind of character it seems amazing this seems like a real treat they're watching a Marvel movie that that can deconstruct that thing what did he want yeah this was exactly what I was going to ask I, I think this is the, my only weak point is Killian's motivation and indeed what he was doing wasn't clear to me because at one point it seemed like that they were people were melting down accidentally and they were covering that up by saying they were terrorist attacks this is what it seemed to me okay. that it was an unin- it was unintentional these people because he was saying that some people a percentage of them simply just reject extremists that's yep. something that happens uh, but then at the end he's saying well I want to own both sides of the war on terror but even that seems a little bit like he's cobbling it together as he goes along there seemed an absence of a master plan I don't know if you have a if you've got a guy installed as the president of the United States of America and you control him Bless them for giving Miguel Ferrer work. I love that man. Anything that gives Miguel Ferrer work <laughs> is fantastic. I felt that was very slipped in and tacked on, that vice president. It, it felt like that. It felt like an afterthought, a little bit. Like an added thing to kind of make the plot make sense. Um, I think he wanted several things. He wanted power. He wanted revenge on Tony. And he, by and large, nearly succeeded. Uh, I, thought he was, I, thought he, I thought Guy Pierce was fantastic. He was. Role. He, he was, was very, very good. good. Yeah. I, thought he I was liked a, his a dragon better. tattoos as well. Yes. The boy with the dragon tattoos. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, re- I really liked him in the role, and I thought he was a very credible villain, and you know, uh, better than I would say than Mickey Rourke as uh, Iron Whip or whatever. Oh, it was. Well, he was crippled by the too many characters mess. I think of the second one a little yeah. bit. Not that the second one is dreadful. I mean, no, the second one's got, got a reputation over the last few years as being absolutely no, it's dreadful. Not dreadful it's at all. It's, 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 it's fine. Just, it's it, again, it has a weak third act. That's yeah. it's, that's mm. its issue. Yeah. I think one gamble that they took which could have completely scuppered the movie and which I predict is going to be the thing that that naysaying critics are going to pick up on is the kid. Now, I think... I think that they actually did this really, really well and managed to not make the kid incredibly cutesy and annoying because he could easily have been incredibly cutesy and annoying. Um, but uh, but I think that's going to be the thing that people criticise. He for. was fun. Really? I think he I served don't... advice. You know, he was he was a, he was a narrative device. He also helped you sort of reflect on Tony's sort of like yeah. vulnerable side. Uh, but the interplay between them worked because Tony's so <laughs> relentlessly unpleasant to him. Yeah, was well, so it? Your dad left. Eh, it happens. Get over it. Yeah, I, I really well, like, like that. You know, dads leave. Don't be a pussy about it yeah. exactly um, you know, his caustic his caustic comments really Tony doesn't talk down to kids he doesn't care that he's talking to yeah. a 10 year old he'll just and, and I love the fact he gives him essentially for kids what would be a weapon of mass destruction <laughs> just to use on a bully um, <laughs> I like the relationship between Harley and Tony I like the uh, they again 
Drew Pearce and Shane Black said to me they didn't want it to be Spielbergian they wanted to subvert that and Why subvert the sort of Frank Capriness of, of the whole thing yeah. and um, and I really, really liked the, the way they got on. And he, of course, he was integral in, in keeping Tony alive. There's a slight, I guess, you could you could say there's a slight um, contrivance that Savine and the other girl, Brandt, would be in Rose Hill, Tennessee. Yes, that's quite random, isn't it? Requesting the file. There's from, an idea about the yeah. file, which seems to me like, well, okay, why would they be at the same place as Tony? There's a file. They need to get a file, which is never talked about yeah. again. It yeah. felt a little bit yeah. like that there was either more to that scene that didn't make it into the film, or it was just an absolute afterthought. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? But again, a great example work. of how Tony survives on his wits in this movie the stuff mm. with the microwave oven yeah and, yeah and, very good and very good. that's full on Katie Ryback right there it is it's, it's very very cool indeed and I, 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 whenever um, Stephanie Sostak who was the French actress who stars as Brandt in the movie whenever she was revealed in the trailer people were going ah is she the wasp is she the wasp is this a setup for Avengers 2 well no she's not she's 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 dead that that moment Sorry. that area when um, I think Tony calls uh, your man Westworld which yes. I really yes. enjoy. Another good line. There's lots of, I thought, Shane Black references there, or kind of hat tips. We had the bunch of Christmas trees. There's the there's the, the, the um, Last Boy Scout reference, obviously, when he's tied up and he's yeah. essentially the... It's a me, riff. Touch me again, again, I'll kill you. Yeah. 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 And this yeah. is from Drew Pierce or from Shane? We're guessing. We'll have to it ask feels Shane. Well, you'll ask yeah, them, but uh, my feeling is, um, having spoken to them both, is that uh, you know Shane's movies are traditionally set at Christmas... Um, but I think he was slightly reluctant to do so with Iron Man 3 and Drew Pierce pushed him in that direction mm. and and uh, let Shane I think realise that he could Shane Black up this movie this this massive summer blockbuster and actually bring some lovely personal touches to it mm. and I, I'm, I'm delighted that he did because I think the, the banter between Rhodey and, and Tony towards the end is really really funny and very redolent of obviously Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis Last Boy Scout mm. or Gina Davis and Sam Jackson and Long Kiss Goodnight or of course Riggs and Myrtle in Lethal Weapon so mm. I, and I love that, that stuff I think he's I think they're they're both fantastic they're also little tiny moments and I don't know where they came from whether it was uh, a black thing a Pierce thing uh, you know just an Iron Man thing uh, involving his uh, his little cranes in the lab I actually oh, dummy. with a dummy. Cap. I yeah. actually dummy you. that to see to see dummy, you know, have a bad day when the when the house was attacked. I was I felt I felt bad for the poor thing. I want mm-hmm. a Marvel one shot with dummy. Yes, uh, it's dummy. It's a as, Pixar short. Surely. I think the two names are dummy you, and then it's Jarvis. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Is, is you one of them? It's like, hey, you. I think, I think it's what he, I think the other one's called you. People will write in and correct us, I'm sure. I want to see them have adventures. Jarvis and the two robots <laughs> going I, off on some sort of eighteen to thirty. <laughs> Cruise. I love Jarvis in this. He actually got a chance to. He's always quite acerbic and funny, but he got a chance to actually just have funny situations. Well, he had a character this time, which I don't think yeah. he's properly had. When before. he said, uh, "I'm afraid the words at the end of my sentences are occasionally cranberry," <laughs> uh, and also when he um, says, "I may be melted," I just felt like I love Jarvis for who he was. But you're right; there is a character there. He's mm-hmm. actually a, a person. I, I would like Dummy and you, or whoever they're called, to have. Uh, I would like Jarvis to have his own suit. And like Jarvis to have a physical representation rather than just being his onboard computer. Paul Bettany in body as well as voice. Yeah, that's what I'd like. I wonder if Paul Bettany's seen any of the movies by now. Last we heard he hadn't. Which I kind of love. <laughs> what did people make of the Downton Abbey thing? The Downton Abbey riff, I thought it was hilarious. I did, I did think it was hilarious. It's uh, very big right now. Very yeah. hot. Mm. Also, I'm a fan. So. We, we know from your best friend, JJ Abrams. Ah, yes, my close personal friend, JJ Abrams. Uh, that he's a big fan. He is a very, very big fan. Uh, it's something of a, a, an export phenomenon, isn't it? 
but I love that, they, that it was a, it was a recurring uh, joke for Happy in the in the film. I thought that was quite uh, mm. Mm. That's a very, very nice beat for uh, for Favreau at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> when he's pointing, is he going to say something, something profound? Is he, no, no, no he he's trying to watch, to watch the telly. Yeah. I, I actually thought they were going to put in the spoiler from the Christmas episode this year, and that was going to be what he was trying to watch on TV. That would no, be too okay. much. What, no, what this was set a little bit earlier. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I, I think um, one of the criticisms that people levelled at, at Iron Man Two was that it largely functioned as a trailer for the Avengers and an introduction for. Uh, <laughs> Ali's just written dumb E on the... Yes, because he's not D-U-M-M-Y, he's D-U-M-E, which I didn't know until this movie. That's amazing. That's anyway, amazing. Dumb as you were e. Okay, yes, anyway, uh, is that Iron Man 2 functions as the trailer for Avengers and Thor and Captain America, mm. and I loved the fact that there was virtually none of that uh, in this movie at all. There were we, no setups for Guardians no, of Galaxy. No, none at all. Or, uh, and it, which leads us a little bit to the, uh, the post-credits sequence, yes. of which there is one. Uh, which has absolutely nothing to do with Avengers 2 whatsoever. But it does have the ever-wonderful Ruffa Hulk. It does. Oh, it doesn't do. Ruffa, 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 Ruffa Banner. Ruffa Banner. Ruffa Banner. any other movie. Technically, there was no Hulk. Yeah. yeah. There was Banner. Mm. And it was just such a, I mean, like the Schwarmer, it was just such a throwaway gag. It was, it was funny. It had no point to it whatsoever. Although, arguably, it does close the framed narrative, which otherwise... Yeah. You know, it has no contact. It does. The voiceover, you're going, who's he talking to? And again, it's a wonderfully Shane Black voiceover. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very it, kiss, it, kiss, it calls back, kiss, kiss, yeah. bang, bang. The, the unreliable narrator who is very aware he's telling a story and <laughs> I'm going to take my own sweet time telling it. And, you know, I love that touch. Um, yeah, and the thing about, I think there's a there's a rule now for Marvel movies. If the post credit sting affects the, the wider plot of fate, whatever phase are in at that point, it will be just after the end credits uh, just as people are about to start again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if it's just a funny thing, that bang it just there for the right fans, at the end. Like shawarma or or banner turning up at the end of this movie, it's right at the end. It's a reward for people who stayed, and I, mm. I, yeah. re- I really like that. No bad thing. Speaking of the credits, they had that wonderful sort of seventies uh, homage superhero thing, which I thought was just spectacular, and the music that went through it was amazing. By the way, Eiffel, Dabba Doo, Bleed a Bly. When they're going back to nineteen ninety nine, it's I'm Blue. Is the tune they pick opening the movie? That was a bit of a You've shock. You've got big balls if you're playing <laughs> Eiffel, whatever it was, '95, with I'm Blue. That was extraordinary. But yes, uh, back to what you're saying. The credits are spectacular. Anyway, that affected me more than other people. So I don't about. know what no, you're I was, talking about. I was there with you. Yeah. It's like when the, when the movie opened to Blue, you're just like, I'm. I can't believe I'm hearing this. Is it the, the name of the song or is it? The song's called I'm Blue. Okay, so it's not Blue the band. Like, no. Like no. Duncan thingy and. What's his face? Yeah, <laughs> as they're technically yeah. known. Your yeah. pop knowledge is astonishing. You know, one love for the mother's pride. You know that one, blue. Yeah, that, no, is that bread? One that love back. for the Mark Forty Two. No. Anyway, <laughs> you're now free, freestyling. Can we talk a little <laughs> bit about the um, Tony Stark wannabe impersonator TV? Gary. Gary, yes. Big fan of Gary. <laughs> it, it went full partridge there for a while, didn't it? it that was, was quite terrifying. Piss off your, piss off your mentalist. You're a mentalist! <laughs> Tony needs Gary, and Gary needs Tony. Was Gary needs to, to, to shut up and get on with his job. I love that stuff. Fantastic. Again, one of those little quirks and risks that, mm. the, that they were taking. I love that. They, that scene could easily have been, wow, that's a little bit of easy plot you know Red Bull well let's just get it going he hacks into the computer sees what's going on oh all the videos have been taken then explain everything that goes on but you're too busy giggling from the fact that Gary's rocked up pulls off his hat and he has the beard you go the yeah of course of course yeah 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 I love that line the hair's not right because there's no product in it at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then you find yourself staring at Tony's hair going, you're right, there is. You know, Tony has good hair. He does have good but hair. where does he, he get the hair. product from? I mean, he's got the door of the Explorer watch, which I yeah. absolutely yeah. love as he well. He never has helmet hair. Yeah, it's weird. Never has he? helmet hair. I guess that's part of being a superhero. It's probably built into the suit, to be fair. That's why he is Iron Man. Yeah. Well, he would actually build in a hair yeah. dryer, wouldn't has, he? Has a product in a hair dryer. <laughs> yeah. Drips in from the top of the helmet. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I had a bit of an issue with Mia, I'll be honest. Maya. 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 I had a bit of an issue with Maya, I'll be honest. Mia. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Maya. It's oh, Maya. Maya. I'm keeping it in. Yeah. Fine. Um, yeah, she just felt a bit... She felt like a collection of cliches, which maybe makes her not a cliche. But I feel like I've seen every single beat from her before and she was the only thing or person in the film that I felt that way about. So, you you know, the sort of the scorned lover the sort of the attempted banter with him the only thing maybe I hadn't seen from her was hanging out with the new girlfriend which was you know a p- potentially an interesting thing but then she turned out to be oh, oh my goodness treacherous but then she turned out there was good in her after all but and then she, she got killed that's I mean, I mean that's fair from, from the comic line isn't it so, I mean the, the reveal at the end of that is that she was part and parcel of the whole releasing but again, yeah but she's not she's not evil in the comic no, books no she does end up paying the ultimate price yeah, kind of prison for pounds fifty. Uh, for her treachery and her evil ways but in this one yeah and I kind of get what you mean um, I thought Rebecca Hall was fine she was fine I've no problem with her I but just I really liked, the character I really like the fact they pulled the rug out from under us you know I'm going to kill myself I'm going to kill myself and then I don't care and he just kills her anyway uh, yeah. I, and that was a really nice That's moment Shane Black I thought yeah and uh, yeah, and again it, it it undercuts the movie for anyone who's read Extremis and knows where the movie is going or thinks in it where the movie mm. is going it's like oh hang what this that's not what should be happening right now. Hang on, let me just check. Page 37. Yeah, she's still alive. Um, it's not <laughs> quite right. So I really like that. But this isn't a movie I think you can um, say that it doesn't empower women. Uh, often superhero movies tend to just have them as squealing, oh no, I need to be rescued. I need a hero. Well, actually, the, just this week, in fact, uh, as, as we record this, um, two T-shirts have been released by Marvel Disney. Uh one says it's for boys and it says be a hero and shows the Avengers and the other one's for girls and says I need a hero and shows oh, the Avengers yeah. so you know there I mean, is oh, still that, that attitude bad. There, to bad. be fair I, I'm not sure I agree with you entirely on this I think there's elements of her I mean she gets the armour on but Tony puts it on her and then at the end she goes full mental and that's good but she goes full mental she goes full mental she punches the shit out of old uh, she gets old it's not Rather mental aggressive. to attack a bad person no I know I'm just saying she okay. gets quite violent with him but um but up until then, she's been relentlessly pathetic. I mean, she's lying on her back with her arms out going, help me, help me. She is basically Penelope Pitstop. So, yes, she does get a little bit of redemption at the end, but she's not the most, you know, she's, she's not what I would call a feminist icon. No, true. <laughs> but they do well, I don't know. Her. She's a CEO, at least. I, I think, I think oh, She has Potts, a business head on her shoulders. Pepper Potts could have been a nothing role, and I think over three films, four, I guess, with Avengers... Uh, they've done more with her than we than we've often seen from True. similar characters in the past. That said, yes, I agree. There's a lot. She's a of CEO a who goes go. a bit gooey when Guy Pearce comes up and stands near well, her. Well, I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, haven't well. we? Not if he's dressed as Peter Wayland. Fair enough. You'd be a little bit like, oh, what the hell is that? Get away! Have you been in a coffin for five years? <laughs> yeah. That stinks. Um, I'll give that twenty minutes. I did think that the fact that she actually saved the day was a lovely feeling yes, yes that was nice she won the day Tony had kind of semi-cocked up five times in a row just through chance basically and if I mean what would have happened if his girlfriend hadn't fallen to her death then come back to life kind of I mean yeah 
I'm glad that they had two moments to to kill off Aldrich. Um, I really enjoyed the second deathing. Um, <laughs> the second deathing was the better of the two. That I, I did yeah. enjoy that deathing, uh, and I just found that that final scene very satisfying. When we see all the suits, do we want to talk about the suits? Yes, because yes. yes. oh. it's the first obviously tip to that is thing it says mark 42 on the arm yes. of his, yeah. of his yeah. armor which is a bit like oh i'm sorry what did i miss <laughs> 40 odd films i hope that's a douglas adams reference carry on it could be uh which obviously we see at the end that he has been tinkering in his basement and has built another 40 odd suits mm. some of which have interesting names like red snapper uh others i'm sure there's references i'm sure a lot of those suits are slightly sort of uh, arcane nods to marvel lore i know one i thought one looked a bit like ronin the one that was sort of matte black with the gold trim on the edges that may not be intentional i think at one point he dons the uh my favourite Iron Man armour over the years the Silver Centurion mm. which he first did. yes I think that one's in there I think he wore, wears it at one point but I couldn't really tell because the 3D classes make the colour not <laughs> quite a surprise <laughs> so I need true. to see it again but then, in, the, the, and then there's the big stocky what people are saying is the Hulkbuster mm. armour which looks like a Terminator Marine I don't think that's a Hulkbuster armour well no the yeah. Hulkbuster armour traditionally yeah. he wears over his yeah. normal armour yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it probably isn't but it is It is quite uh, there are but the idea some sort of line to see yeah, what they're the, called yeah but the idea behind that is that Tony has this uh, anxiety following the Battle of New York that, and, and essentially dying in the battle against the Chitari. And uh, in order to try and keep his mind occupied and stay away from that sort of the, the bad times coming back to haunt him and also this idea that he wants to protect people, he just builds as many suits of as many shapes, sizes and colours and functions as he can possibly think of. And uh, the movie heavily hints towards that. You know, there's... It's interesting because I first saw the 15 minutes of this movie when I was over in uh, LA in January to talk to everybody for it and they showed, showed us 15 minutes and there was the battle of it was the destruction of uh, Tony's house in Malibu mm-hmm. and there was a line in there at one point when the house is about to go down it's about to explode and there's a line where Tony basically says to Jarvis are the others and I'm paraphrasing here but are the others okay uh, are the you know they say are the other suits okay and Jarvis goes yes they're fine they're, they're underground they're locked away he goes, okay, blow the suits. So he that's so Tony takes the decision to blow up his Mark One to Eight. Uh-huh. So that's why we see at the beginning of the movie they're blowing up one at a time. Yes, because Jarvis is doing it as part of a self-destruct sequence, and they, that sequence has been re-edited slightly now so that they blow up as a result of the Mandarin's attack, and not Tony's choice. And the line about the suits has been taken out. So, but you could still there are still little hints and clues that that he's been building more than just. Hmm. Uh, the odd suit of armor. Yeah, because yeah. You, you do. I mean, I did notice the line where he asks Jarvis, "Have the cranes arrived at the house?" Mm-hmm. And Jarvis says yes. And you're kind of like, "Well, why is he really worrying about that right now?" And of course, it immediately becomes clear, sort of five ten minutes later. But yeah, it's 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 just slightly foreshadowed now and again. Going back to the ending, there was an element of machina ex machina that they opened up that vault just at the last moment. Then all of the suits come out just at the right moment. But it's such an amazing sight to see these forty odd suits just suddenly arrive in this kind of fleet that you don't really care yeah no I really like that it's a feel good moment isn't that it it's, really it's is. quite you know hmm. it's, it's quite a nice Until it also addresses something that Ali you were expressing concern about in advance of the movie you know because we've, we've seen that there are lots of suits in the movie um, we'd seen that in advance and uh, you were kind of concerned how is this going to play out with Avengers 2 if we have 40 Iron Mans you know how, how is that going to Iron what, Men Iron Men what threat is going to be big enough to require all of those plus the Avengers and they've neatly dealt with that with two words clean sweep clean slate yeah is it clean slate or clean, clean sweep slate. 
Either way, they all blow up. Yeah, I just thought that was really, really neat. I, I, I like it. It makes sense within the context of their relationship that they'd have only just one suit. But now I think we can safely presume, disagree with me, that his next suit, which will be Mark Infinity Plus One, will also be a prehead style. Yeah, you would think, right? Yeah. You would think. That'd be very interesting to see where they go with it, if indeed they go anywhere with it. They can't not go somewhere with this, can they? Who knows? Well, let's look at let's look at where Marvel are going there. So they have they've they've blocked out to what 2015. Mm-hmm. So we we're going to have 2013. We've got Thor: The Dark World coming up next year. We have Captain America: The Winter Soldier, then Guardians of the Galaxy, which is the biggest risk that they oh, have yeah. mm, ever taken. And I'm intrigued to see what happens with that one. Then um, slightly safer, Avengers two, a lot safer, I'd say. Which <laughs> yes, in 2015, May 2015, which could be the same month as Episode seven. Best month ever. Um, and then November of that year, uh, Edgar Wright's Ant Man, which is another risk. Uh, yeah. I'm delighted to see they're kicking out, kicking off Phase Three with uh, with Ant Man. So next time we see Tony will be in 2015. Probably but yes. Will we see him again 2016? And if we see him again, will he still have the same face? <gasps> dun, 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 dun. Or will they take his face off? off? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, in Iron Man Four. Helen, go. Brainstorm now. Iron Man four right yeah. now. I think too slow. Fire. Okay, James. Trevor Slattery is Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I like have my money already. Uh, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Just as we're rounding up, I can feel the uh, interviews coming up shortly, so look forward to them. I just wanted to just list a couple of, of really amusing moments that I'm looking forward to seeing again. I love the Barrel of Monkeys stuff. Mm-hmm. That amused me. That I like great. references to Ringo and Meryl Streep. I like how he dispatches uh, Savine in the, uh, the Air Force One sequence. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's the line? Grow that back, you son of a bitch, or something. It's something like that. I've uh, only seen it once. Listeners, I, I, I really like the uh, the Don Cheadle moment when he comes flying out of the Iron yes. Patriot armor. He's been locked in there. Smacks Savine in the face. And then, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Killian sort of like incinerates the wall and he just looks at him and goes, breathing fire? Really? <laughs> and then basically just gives up. <laughs> yeah, Cheadle's really good in this film. Yeah, he's very good. He gets a lot of humor in it, which uh, yeah. which Cheadle actually does very well. Yeah. Uh, he's very likable. And his, his saving of the president, I thought it was a really nice Cheadle moment. I thought well. that was yeah. great. The whole, the, 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 which, which, which led from that moment I was talking about where he's cornered by the guy, the extremist soldiers, and how is he going to get out of this? And he mm. engineers this incredible <laughs> fireball escape, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I really, really loved that. I, I also love that the president was smiling when he got out of the arm, like, yeah, this is really really cool yeah. I've had a really good time even though I've just been you know snatched yeah. from Air Force Sadler One itself is awesome. William, William Sadler, Sadler is, awesome. Is, awesome. is awesome no question you may be a king or a lowly street sweeper but sooner or later you dance with the reaper <laughs> <laughs> I think my favourite moment wasn't even that though it was incredible it was War Machine rocks all caps <laughs> <laughs> with an X with an X <laughs> that was incredible <laughs> obviously we will discuss the slatteryisms, which were just just Everything he said was gold. gold. That was, I think, my favourite line was was the his his leer was the toast of Croydon. That's that's yes. That's what was the f- line that Savine says to him? Why didn't you press the panic button? He, well, I thought about it, then it panicked. <laughs> Something like, that. and then I dealt with it. <laughs> then I dealt with it. Yeah. What, what did you What did you tell him? Uh, pretty sure I told him nothing. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Yep. Nothing. <laughs> I love the line where Tony's giving advice to um, Harley, the little kid, and he says, "Yeah, yeah, but I can get away with that." Otherwise if you do it it'll come off grandiose and you don't want to do that um, I also love though the car he, he the car that um, evil henchman guy who again I've forgotten the name of um, drives is of course an Audi naturally 
Well, everybody drives everyone an drives Audi. Everyone drives an Audi. Yeah, it's product placement. Yeah, the product placement <laughs> remains in force. Burger King seems to have fallen by the wayside, but yeah. Audi's definitely Audi's, still there. You know, they, they trash a few of those. They were what tumbling out of his house when it was being yeah, blown right. out. Listen, you know, I drive an Audi. Audi, hello, Audi. <laughs> Can um, we all have free Audi? Audi, 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 please. Yes. Yeah, Audi, Audi. I could do with a new Audi. Um, yeah. I like seeing Tony Stark on a payphone, which I thought I'd never see. I mean, Tony Stark crying is one thing, but him on a payphone was bizarre. Yes, but dialing a secure server inside a helmet as opposed to, you know, voicemail. Mm-hmm. But we've also got um, the naughty girl line. You know, when he's in the suit, but not actually in the suit, and he's giving a back massage to Pepper Potts, and they went, oh, you've been a naughty girl. <laughs> and I just go, where did that come from? <laughs> anyway, I could go on and on. Yeah, um, gluten-free yeah. waffles was another great moment. Yeah. What have you eaten for breakfast? Well, no, the more I think about it, the more I enjoy this film. And um, yeah, I'm excited about meeting both Shane Black and Drew Pearce tomorrow. But you, you mentioned the lines just quickly. That, that this is this is it's too rare, I think, nowadays. You see truly great comedic dialogue in action films, and Avengers definitely has it, and this definitely has it. But I think it shows the absence of it in so many other films, a lot of the Marvel films. And you know, I'm hoping that this this trend continues. I, I mean, think Marvel helps, helps when you have you know Shane Black and you've got yeah. Joss Whedon. Yeah. And stuff. I think the fact that the directors of the Captain America movie are the Russo brothers, who are really really funny, directed some of the best mm. episodes of Community, uh, that ogres well. Um, Thor might be more serious, I'm guessing. But then Thor was actually one of the funniest. Yeah. Of yeah. I think them, I so. think we're on a roll at the moment. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know if this movie is quite as enjoyable as the Avengers, um, but the fact is, I want to watch it again, yeah. uh, pretty much instantly. Which is the, the the same reaction I have when I watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for the first time. So two for two for Mr. Shane Black as a director, I would say. Okay. I want to read Tony Stark's autobiography, Cheap Trick and a Cheesy One Liner. <laughs> Cheap Tricks and a Cheesy One Liner, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing I immediately want to do after watching that film. <laughs> Very good. Get on it. Get on it. Okay. And now, without any further to do, um, an interview with Mr. Drew Pierce and Mr. Shane Black, the writer and director of Iron Man 3, with Helen and Ali, because I'm not here. Boo. Friends of mine who'd even seen the movie. And so. we had not been told that anyone had seen the movie. So today, when everyone oh, really? we talk to has seen the film, it's the first we've been introduced to any reaction whatsoever. Yeah, and it's been terrifying, and it's a movie that... Um, we'll be able to talk about in this spoilerific podcast <laughs> has things to spoil in it. And so I'm still, I'm kind of slightly shell-shocked from my ability to talk about something that's been a secret for two years um, and actually, you know, out loud speak about it with other human beings that aren't you or Kevin Feige. I'm shell-shocked by the bizarreness of some of the questions um, that came from the journalists <laughs> today. Do you, you okay, what's the weirdest? The what's press conference questions were uh, were loose. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were serving something uh, with lunch. <laughs> they were esoteric. They were those kind of questions that it a is genuinely impossible to listen to the whole one. Uh, it's like, 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 like one of them of... was like, if you could replace any part of your body with an iron part, what would it be? Also, that's red rag to a bull with Shane. It's like, don't <laughs> ask him that in front of a room full <laughs> of what, people. What sort? Of uh, can you imagine like the New York Times going to President Obama saying, "President Obama, if you could make your head into a pumpkin, would you?" You know, I mean, why would you ask? I him? wish they were. I wish they were yes, no questions. Yeah. That, for me, they're more like I'm really bad at like uh, you know uh, directions from one place to another. And for me, it's like listening to someone go, and then you go straight down Main Street, yeah, and then you take yeah. a left onto Third. And by the end of it, I'm like, you can't I keep up with the their question one. because I have a three part question first, and by the time they get twenty minutes later, the third part of the question. And you figure jet lag into that, and frankly, it's yeah. game over. 
Well, I have a, I have a five-part question here. Exciting. <laughs> um, I mean, let's start, I guess, with with the sort of the extremis uh, thing, because I, I imagine that's the kind of issue you need to tackle early on. What is your bad guy going to be? What's he going to be doing? What's he going to want? What are his powers that are going to prove a genuine threat? You've got to settle all of that, I guess, quite quite early on in, in the proceedings. So, so how did you do it? What did we toy with? Uh, we, um, I mean, we uh. kicked around a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, both separately and together, Extremis and Mandarin are, you know, two of the iconic stories of, of Iron Man. But there's plenty of other stuff, too. We, we talked a lot about the Five Nightmares as well. Um, yeah. In know, fact, the version of Extremis that ends up in the movie is suspiciously similar to the actual way it, the bomb people manifest in Five Nightmares. It's yeah. kind of a, a mashup, as it were. And actually, with... Um, with some of the early dr- drafts, or at least our, our early writing, probably before it came into being as a as a, an official draft, um, we were actually toying even with the idea of uh, uh, the Five Nightmares idea of um, black market RTs and um, reactors because the Matt Fraction run does does a brilliant real life job of that. You know, um, we didn't go down that route in the end, but that's that's partly kind of. How uh, how we were originally envisaging it? Remember the, the the Marvel version where Pepper Potts goes undercover at the black market bazaar in like Nairobi or something? I think that's that I've doesn't about seem that. very realistic. <laughs> um, but there was one there was one thing that's made me think of something. Uh, from a oh, do you remember? You know, we were talking earlier. This is a total aside, by yeah, the way. Fine. I don't know if this Good. is allowed to yeah, be the rambliest, yeah, most jet lagged podcast ever in history. But if it isn't going to be, it is now. Do you remember when I wrote that um, uh, that sequence in the first draft for Pepper? We were trying to establish the idea of her as what had happened to Pepper mm-hmm. since uh, since the second movie, and we did like this little sequence that was like. Otto from uh, is it Otto from Inglorious Bastards? You know the um, uh, the German guy, and they do that like mini Sam Jackson narrated exploitation mm-hmm. update. And we did a whole like kind of rolling Tarantino esque right. two page. It was cool as well. It's it's all cool, but the fact is, when when we were introducing the characters, we had these collage kind of uh, mini montage segments. That would have made the movie three hours and fifty minutes long, <laughs> which it actually was, even though we didn't even shoot them. So, yeah, um, yeah. So that's the, what's that's. By the way, fun fun fact, although tragic fact, scary fact is the movie came in as an assembly at three hours and fifteen minutes, yeah. wow. and it's ended up being one fifty nine something. We cut an hour and fifteen minutes of footage. Picture sitting still for an hour and fifteen minutes. That's a movie. Mm. Yeah, we cut a movie. We out lost of the movie. a movie yeah. out yeah. of the movie. And I don't know how we did it, and that's the miracle. It's always a leap of faith. You never, I never would have believed we could cut it down and still have it make sense. And every cut you do, you always—it's the same actually at the script stage as it is yeah. in the yeah. in the edit. Every version of the script or every cut of the uh, the movie that you do, you go, "This is it. This is bare bones. We couldn't lose another page. We can't lose another frame right. from this edit." Right. And then other people watch it or you live with it for a couple of days or a week or in in normal uh, movie schedules sometimes a month um in in this movie schedule you walk away for three minutes yeah. and then you come back and uh, and try and analyze it um what was the the hardest thing to see go if you're cutting out an hour and a quarter god well i still miss i think i've mentioned it before um but i miss the uh car chase that yeah. would have been a lot of fun on a 
on a just on a purely practical level, the first Iron Man car chase was one of the elements that stayed in the movie pretty late. I mean, like we location scouted it. You know, um, uh, I don't think it was ever totally previsited, but we definitely had some. There's some, some amazing like um, art kicking around for it somewhere in the depths that probably make its way into some kind of phase two photo book in That's right. three years time. Um, I'm trying to think of the other stuff. The only thing that potentially I would miss is yeah. there's a scene where uh, the water tower falls over mm. and traps Tony and he gets up. There's actually a character that was cut out of a bully that bullied oh, yeah, young Harley. And he comes back and they meet him in town. And later, as they're about to leave, they realize he's been trapped under the water tower. And uh, Tony's trying to save him and can't and is getting desperate. And suddenly Harley surfaces and the little kid has actually dived down and saved his own bully. And then they have to resuscitate him. And Tony takes the RT out of his chest to shock the kid back to life. And and that was in so late that, yeah. to be honest, I sometimes forget that it's gone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... It sometimes surprises me, but I mean that's the the nature of this movie's been insane because uh, summer movies are always under the gun when it comes to sorry that's here's the tea and biscuits arriving in order to uh, uh, I love, alleviate that, you, I love, I love that you've lag. got the whole you know, transatlantic thing here. You're having tea, Shane's having. But coffee, he's trying you know. to be he's trying to be English and have biscuits, and I'm trying to be LA and have a banana. Oh. But at some point, I will break and have a biscuit. So it's a beautiful kind of crossover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I become doughy if I eat these biscuits. Shane, if you ever become doughy, uh, I just won't believe it. Um, uh, no. Well, I'm trying to think of the other stuff we. I mean, it's weird. There's stuff we lost from the three hour 15 cut, and there's also stuff we lost in the writing. Right. Um, like, and, and you know. I think he, I think everyone other than Shane and I, and probably Shane and I as well, have forgotten some of the stuff that was in there in those first two drafts. But there was um, there was a whole, there were two whole different sections. Do you remember the um, the MIT geeks? Yeah, there, he, uh, Tony. Instead of consulting this this young kid, he, he went to this kind of weird. Um, it was like the Stark Wing of yeah, uh, and there was a kind of a. Uh, Asperger-esque kind of semi-hot young Asian chick, right? Who was? I think you you brought the Asian in there yourself, but okay, um, okay, yeah. but um, sorry, <laughs> but um, no, it's good. You would you obviously had specific casting in mind that I never realised. But um, <laughs> there was two of them. Yeah, there was, was two a, of them. That's right. And one of them was a fan, and one of them was uh, was basically that kind of brilliantly chippy kind of student that you get who. Because they meet someone famous, thinks the best way to deal with them is like with like total aggression. But yeah, but there was a so there was that. I don't know if I necessarily say I missed that. It played, but I don't think there was any room for it in our Capra esque yeah. second act. No, and and as it turns out, there was you know we could have you could probably take a lot of the material we wrote and just and forge it into a document that would significantly be you know another script entirely yeah it's weird you actually could we I mean, had another we had other villains remember madden shit. and krieger Sorry. and That's bleep fine. me bleep That's me fine. um you know we, we had villains you know before killian there was krieger and madden and uh even edwin cord was uh discussed edwin cord yeah um, <coughs> so Actually, that's that's a significant one. Like early on, I mean, elements ended up transmuting into to other stuff we did. But like, we you, really kicked around the idea of doing a Madden Mask one. movie. Pepper, in one draft, slept with 
Killian because he was so pheromonally enhanced with this extremist that she couldn't resist him and she was angry at Tony so she sleeps with Killian and then he makes a sex tape and broadcasts it oh my in God. Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the weird thing is I was going to say that was never an actual draft but it kind of was in, it was was the in the draft. It was second draft. Second yeah. draft. Wow, um, wow that, that seems audacious even by our standards. <laughs> But it was definitely uh, it was definitely groundbreaking. Would there were say? brilliant points d- throughout the process where, because Shane has basically only ever written his own scripts in a weird way, like he's his own master, and because of that, he's always been his own master of language as well, and whatever color that he wants to bring to that language. And there were there were a couple of genuine points early on where he, where I would go, I don't think we can say that. And you genuinely didn't believe me we could, couldn't say fuck in a PG-13 movie. He was like, well, I had a couple of fucks, mate. And I was like, you could have won, right? You I think you, you think can, but like, our, not a Disney our first cut character. didn't have one. Our first uh, draft, it had a lot. Well, just speaking of villains, I mean, we've got to ask about Trevor. Big leap from Marvel, Thank apart God. from anything else. Um, to kind of to sign off on that. So um, how'd that go? They were very open to it. Yeah, it's good. and that, that surprised us. I mean, I, I remember the meeting where we pitched it to them as well. And I think you and I almost had like backup plans, I think, because we didn't know if they'd go for it. And Kevin, you know, Kevin did what, you know, Kevin's best at, where he took a beat and he thought about it and, you know, in classic Kevin style went, that'd be cool. <laughs> and... Um, and then it was like full steam ahead. And I think there's a part of him that liked the challenge of having a, I mean, for want of a better word, a twist in one of their movies. Like, just because he hadn't done it before. So, you know, it's the whole movie's been marketed with, uh, uh, you know, uh, in support of a twist. And a twist that is, you know, um, in the most generous version, a brave reinterpretation of a canonical <laughs> character, you know? Yeah, it's already a brave reinterpretation of a canonical <laughs> character, and then yeah, turn it into something else that people go, "You have raped this man." I look. Here's the thing: as we do this podcast before the the premieres, before the movie is released, I am still absolutely on tenterhooks about whether mm. Trevor Slattery is <laughs> embraced or I'm lynched, and you yeah. point at me and go, "Lynch him." <laughs> We won't be lynched because here's the thing. I'm more interested in a way. I don't usually care about critics, but I'm interested in the idea of some critics somewhere saying, well, they've chosen to do something rather interesting in a comic book movie more than a couple fanboys going, I wanted space rings. Until they kill you. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, look, hey, I agree. I mean, like, what we are shooting for with that in the smallest, most, uh, smallest possible way is... We always talked about the idea it'd be lovely if we could get some satire into the movie, yeah. essentially. And in our own small way, I'd like to think that it is at least a... I don't think it's a its a grand artistic comment, but I do think it's an interesting uh, analysis of real-world news cycles and, you know, and yeah. how the Western world... Uh, demonizes uh, and cr- creates opposition mm. that can there's a there's fund military a, power or a fund waiting political power niche for the, w- America waiting to be fear fed its yeah. daily dose and the Mandarin supplies that much the way that extremists supplies the dose that fills the niche in the human mind for self and that's how we always hope that those two ideas would, would join up and again it's like you don't hit that stuff 
really hard on the head in the movie. You kind of can't hit it too hard on the head. But uh, that's definitely how, for us, Extremis and the Mandarin concept join up as well. Just, I mean, casting Ben Kingsley, because there you're sort of, I mean, you're already using Marvel's reputation a little bit against itself. And you're kind of subverting that, you know, that reputation for fairly straightforward stories. But also, I mean, the fact that they've already cast all of these Oscar nominees, Oscar winners, whatever, whatever, you know, Alarm bells don't go off when you when you cast Ben Kingsley, and he gets to surprise us by by showing us his comic side instead of his thespian side. Well, it's yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't know if Sir Ben believes me, but we genuinely had him in our minds for for when we wrote it. We had, you know, um, uh, sexy beast mm-hmm. in our heads, and we also had, you know, we felt like if anyone was gonna nail like precisely taking the piss out of a certain kind of British lovey, then he would he would know yeah. how to do that. Ben Sir Ben, excuse me, has the has a wonderful philosophy, which is that he thinks you take what's there, what's presented to you, you talk to the writer perhaps if you have some ideas, but basically once it's written down and it's time to shoot, you bring it to life. He locks in. Yeah, he locks in and brings it to life. Yeah, he doesn't think you you have to do much except take what's there and find ways. Even if you find it awkward, instead of going, this is awkward, I'm going to change it. Yeah. You just you say, that's my challenge, yeah. is to bring it to life. And I think I think when there's an actual red flag in, in the scripts that Sir Ben has given, well, I can only speak for, for this occasion because it's the only time I've worked with him, but like... I feel like he felt comfortable enough with us that he would have come to us and gone, listen, mm-hmm. old boy, I'm not sure I'm, I can make this one work. Um, and actually what he did was just like run towards it at 100 miles an hour. And um, I mean, like, uh, again, the, the, the tenterhooks about how it will be received is one thing, but the tenterhooks about whether an actor could even pull off that turn was yeah. was actually the first fear. And, um, I mean, it's one of those things. These movies are big and they morph and, you know, there's there's lots of elements of improv. There's lots of elements that, even if they're not improv, they're uh, impromptu rewrites or, or all of those elements. But his stuff, the, the Trevor stuff, even Harley's stuff to a degree, um, that is pretty close to what we had in our first draft yeah like there's the, the gags come and go like um there's you know in the, there's always you know great robert suggestions and stuff but um i mean and, and it's partly because of the two actors in those <clears throat> scenes as well you know you're, you're working with a kid and you're working with you know um a, a stage actor <laughs> why liverpool versus chelsea see it's liverpool yeah uh, um, someone said it's uh armory Arsenal. Arsenal. Um, uh, it's Liverpool because Sir Ben... Well, Sir Ben did say he was being Liverpudlian, but there's, there seems to have been some... Uh, well, is, if he goes up at the end of all his sentences, is that Liverpudlian? No, not really. Not really I mean, really. like, I think it's... I think, you know, uh, I think Trevor is his own thing, frankly. Yeah. I, um, it works for Trevor. I just don't know that... Yeah. Um, but And so it was originally it was going to be Arsenal because I... Before I wandered off to America for a bit, I um, I lived in Highbury. Um, so that's who it was going to be, but now it's Liverpool. Mm. And I'm, I'm guessing, Drew, you're the Downton Abbey fan? No, no, it was no, John Favreau. John was. 
we we wrote it as you, look you don't understand how big downton is in the states it's bigger i think in the u.s now than it ever was in the uk to be honest it's kind of faintly appalling when you're british and you're over there because people who I talk to in the uk say you know it's not that good i mean look hey i know lots of people that love it for me it's a wee bit soapy <laughs> like um uh but i think there's a kind of gentrification porn to it that um that that appeals and and actually to be you know what what john did with it is not only does he love it himself but he feels like there's this totally you know unexplored story uh, which there were more hints of in the the gargantuan version of the movie but where happy basically has also has always been in love with pepper as well and um and in happy's head uh, happy as the servant stood aside to let the other lord uh, take his woman, and um, and that's why there's the specific clip that there is in, I, in the movie. I'm curious. In the trailer, we get to see a tattoo on the back of the Mandarin's neck, which is uh, kind of a bullseye slash <coughs> Captain America thing. Was that just a kind of a tease for those comic book nerds? No, it was. It was actually part of the design of the Mandarin. Was yeah. that he's he's part of his cobbling together it's the captain america shield with an anarchy symbol in the middle of it it's yeah. a corruption of america again it was yeah it's that brilliant kind of again it's the kind of mashup vibe of how would a think tank create a terrorist and the way they would do it in their own wanky way is they would you know they would put together a mood board of all of the um you know uh the symbols of modern western power and i think post the Battle of New York, Cap's shield would be one yeah, of them. And, and graffiti is also big in the Mandarin's world, and the kind of graffiti art, it's anarchy. So part, but, of, part of what frightens people is chaos, and graffiti and things like that, mm-hmm. anarchy and chaos are endemic to the Mandarin. And I think we get to have our cake and eat it then, because there's also the aspect of graffiti art being endemic of the, the Mandarin could be perceived as kind of like a slightly old-fashioned notion. Um, and so the the idea that we get to use it for the Mandarin, but then also go, that was the think tank's idea. Like, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's, that was, I mean, it was kind of mind-bending sometimes just trying to, it's easier when you've got the actor in front of you, but in the earlier drafts, trying to kind of balance what the Mandarin had to work as on a fundamental level pre-reveal and what he becomes um was was, you know it it was it took some juggling when i first came to this movie i was nervous about it i was scared because of the number of suits i went well if they've all got these suits that can just come in well how's that going to work for avengers 2 well why have the avengers just have tony and his metal friends i thought the clean slate initiative was a stroke of genius at the end whose idea was that and was that a, a piece uh, something suggested by maybe Kevin in terms of making sure that there isn't too much power. No, that was not Kevin. That was Drew. Drew said uh, at the end, you know, I think that if he's going to prove to Pepper, if, in the version of the first draft, she didn't want to give up her powers. She was she said, I, I can't do it. I can't go back. And he said, well, how about if I give it up then? Mm. Will you do that for me? And he had this scene, which was very romantic, where he sacrifices the suits in order to get her to give up her power. So... Yeah, and that was kind of that was where it started, and I think you know it came to mean something else. I mean, like the the word, the key word in the in the later versions and in the in the filmed versions is this idea of distractions and the fact that 
you know, literally, physically, Iron Man has been getting in the way of their relationship. Well, what it is really is, will you give up the other woman? Yeah. You know, I, I can't stop, you know, stooping this other woman. Well, or this other man. Or this other, yeah. <laughs> and she says, please. And he goes, okay, I'm going to stop just for you. And then she hugs him and says, thank you. Yeah. Which, you know, try that with an actual woman. It doesn't work. I, I, I wouldn't even dare. And obviously the irony being that he will almost certainly go back on it and uh, <laughs> the next yeah. time we see him but it, if I was a betting man but, but it was uh, nice to see some kind of growth and change from yeah the and I think the, the whole thing is you know it's a uh, you know it, it's a it's a grand example of it's the thought that counts so um, even if he has to build another one at some point down the road A it won't necessarily be our problem and um, and B we feel like kind of we made the one of the bigger points we wanted to with the movie, which was that, you know, that he is a hero now outside of the suit and he can feel like a hero outside of the suit. By that time, we'll be clear of this. We'll yeah. have our big residual checks, our, we'll our back end points. We can go buy some. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have bought a little retirement home together <laughs> no. in Florida. <laughs> you can go buy a, basically a balloon and a cookie. And a handful of cents. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Um, and uh, yeah, We only just got friend. started bullshitting. I know. Listen, honestly, I'm we like only halfway through my list. But, uh, but yeah, thanks very much. And that was it. I'm sure they said some great things and I enjoyed listening to them. Uh, how were they, guys? <laughs> how, how were they? How will they have been? How Chris? will they have been? They will have been very entertaining, I'm sure. Excellent. I'm so glad that you enjoyed that. Uh, and thanks for listening to this uh, super special Iron Man 3 super spoiler podcast. Uh, the next one coming up, I guess, will be Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, so join us in a couple of weeks for that. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Uh, pod bye from Helen. Bye bye. Pod bye from James. I am Iron Man. No, you're not. Uh, pod bye from Ali. Oh, hang on, are you? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, pod bye from Ali. I am Tony Terrell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bye. And pod bye from me. I would not come into this booth for at least another 20 minutes. Oh. Bye. Bye.